And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out on the land of Egypt, out on the house of slavery. You shall not, you ha- I mean, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not, not make for yourself a carved image. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Remember the Sabbath, Sabbath day to keep it holy. Honor your father and mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet anything that is your neighbor's. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Jack, so much. All right, Exodus chapter 20, if you have your Bibles this morning, you'll want to open there. Hopefully you have that marked by now if you've been with us the last several weeks. We're going to continue this morning uh, where we've been in the Ten Commandments here in Exodus 20. And we'll also be over a little bit in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 5 this morning, which is also the Ten Commandments. You see the Ten Commandments given both at the beginning of Moses' ministry here in Exodus 20 and then again at the end of Moses' ministry over in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 5, and so we'll be seeing some of that this morning. Today as we come to this fourth commandment, in a way I kind of wish that we were at the fifth commandment for Father's Day, because the fifth commandment that we'll look at next week is honor your father and mother, and yet the more that I got into studying and preparing uh, to teach this morning on the fourth commandment, I saw how absolutely necessary and important this is for a day like today. And so we're going to talk today about a reminder to rest. We're going to talk about this uh, thing called the Sabbath, what it is, what it means, and what it means particularly for us as New Testament believers. And so As we think about the Sabbath, what I want you to understand here in Exodus 20, God is setting aside one day a week for a particular purpose. He says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Now, when we think about the word holy, we want to think not just about purity or or sinlessness, as we often do, but we want to understand that the word holy also bears with it the idea of being set apart of being set apart for a particular purpose, of being different, of being separate from the norm. And so when God says here, remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy, he's saying, I want you to set aside one day a week for a particular purpose that we find outlined right here in Exodus chapter 20. And so let's look together at the Sabbath day. Begin there in verse 8 of Exodus chapter 20. We're going to find three things about the Sabbath day this morning, three things that are important about this thing called the Sabbath. First of all, the Sabbath is a day for remembrance. The Sabbath is a day for remembrance. Boys and girls, if you're filling in blanks this morning, you'll want to make sure you get that one there. The Sabbath is a day for remembrance. Right there in verse 8, it says this, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. 
The Sabbath day being for them the last day of the week. We'll talk about how that's transitioned for us now in the New Testament age here in a little bit. But for now, understanding that one day a week, God was asking them to set aside for a particular purpose. And the first of those purposes is it would be a reminder. It would be an act of remembrance every week. They would have a day to remember some particular things. First of all, the Sabbath reminds us to stop and worship. In fact, the word Sabbath, the Hebrew word, literally means to stop or to cease. This is kind of like God erecting a stop sign at the end of the week. They've come through a long week of work and and of toil and, and all the things that go on in their families. And then they come each week to what we would know as Saturday. They called the Sabbath day, the last day of the week. And it's as if God is erecting a giant stop sign saying, it's time to stop and to worship me. An entire day set aside for this particular purpose. Now, we might ask this morning, well, do we still need that? I mean, we're New Testament believers. Aren't we beyond this at this point? In fact, you'll not find anywhere in the New Testament where we're encouraged to keep a Sabbath, specifically. So what does this mean for us? Well, what I want to encourage you in this morning is to understand that while there is the letter of the law that says the last day of the week is the Sabbath, keep it holy, set it apart for worship and and remembering the things of God, there's also the spirit of the law. There's a principle here that I think still applies to us as New Testament believers that while while we no longer practice the Sabbath in terms of the letter of the law, setting aside the last day of the week for, for rest and remembrance, we do practice the same spirit here. And I want, hopefully you'll see that as we walk through some things this morning. Pastor Tony Morita said, you need a Sabbath. You and I, we need a Sabbath. It's rooted in creation and redemption. We'll come back to that idea before we finish this morning, by the way. Some may argue over the day, there's a lot of arguments over, should we be worshiping on Saturday or Sunday or, or both days or every day? What, what's the deal here? Some may argue over the day, but no one should argue over the principle. There's a principle here that we are in desperate need of, and I hope you'll see that. The Sabbath is God's gift to us. That's what I want you to see today. This is a gift from God that we need. And it helps us. It benefits us to keep it, and it helps us to anticipate the final rest that is to come. That's where we're going to end today as we run toward Hebrews chapter 4 by the time we finish this morning. We've got a lot of ground to cover between now and then. So the Sabbath reminds us, first of all, to stop and to worship. Again, the stop sign at the end of the week saying, pause, cease your labors, and focus your attention on your God. The Sabbath also reminds us, as New Testament believers, that we are meant to rest in Christ's finished work. In fact, this could be an entire sermon of its own this morning. The fact that everything that we need has been given to us by the finished work of Jesus Christ. By the fact that God came in the flesh, in the person of Jesus Christ, and dwelled among us full of grace and truth. From the fact that He lived the perfect and sinless life that we could not live, 
We chose rebellion against God, and he chose righteousness every time. He was tempted in every way that we are, and yet he was without sin. Not only did he come into the world, God in the flesh, not only did he live the perfect life that we could not live, but he died in our place as our substitute. His greatest work took place there at the cross when he laid his life down for us, but he capped it all off with his resurrection. When he said, I'm going to lay my life down, but I'm also going to take it up again. I mean, who says that? God says that. The giver and taker of life said, I'm going to lay my own life down, and I am going to, of my own volition, take it up again. This was his work on our behalf. And even now, he continues to work. As he continues to intercede for us, seated at the right hand of Almighty God, he continues to intercede for us as his people. We rest in his finished work. The Sabbath is a reminder that our work will never achieve what we think it's going to achieve. We think if we work hard enough, if we do enough good deeds... If we memorize enough Bible verses, if we attend enough church services, then surely that will gain us the favor of God. And yet it never will. None of our works will merit us anything. In fact, Ephesians 2 says that we are saved by grace through faith. It's not of works, because if it were of works, guess what we would do? We'd boast about our works every day. If God's part was 99% and our part was 1%, If God did 99% of the labor needed for our salvation and we did 1%, guess what we'd boast about? The 1%. We would ignore God's 99% altogether and we would boast about that 1% because that's what sinful hearts desire to do. We desire to boast in ourselves rather than boasting in our God. And so he gives us the Sabbath to remind us it's not going to be your work. It's his work that we rest in. I love what Philip Carey said, every time we turn to Christ in faith, and we can do this daily, every time we turn to Christ in faith, it is like a moment of Sabbath, a moment of ceasing, of resting, a little foretaste of eternal rest and glory. The gift of that moment, listen to this, lies not in what we do, but in what we receive. It is, the whole, it is the holy time set aside to receive the greatest gift of God that God has ever given, which is himself in the form of his own beloved son. Isn't that powerful? So the Sabbath is a reminder of our need for him. But not only that, we're going to see some other things it's a reminder of as well. Before we get there, Ecclesiastes 12 commands us remember also your creator remember him in the days of your youth before the evil days come and the days years draw near of which you will say i have no pleasure in them remember your creator the sabbath draws us to that in principle and we'll see how we can practice it before we finish this morning so the sabbath is a reminder but not just a reminder the sabbath is also a day for resting The Sabbath is also a day for resting. So look with me there at verses 9 and 10, and you'll see what I'm talking about. And so he says, remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. Six days 
you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God, and on it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, or your livestock, or even the sojourner who is within your gates. So he's saying, we shut down all business, and we remember the Lord, and we rest in his finished work. The Sabbath is a day for resting. But notice before we get to the resting, notice what God commends. We've been saying this, that these Ten Commandments reveal the character of God. If you want to know God, you learn about God through His Word. You come to know Him through His Word. And these Ten Commandments that have been given reveal the character of the one true and living God whom we worship. And we've also been saying that most of these commandments are phrased in terms of a prohibition. Thou shalt not, thou shalt not, stay away from this, stay away from that. But we've been saying this, that the fact that God prohibits some things reveals that he prizes some other things. The fact that God says stay away from this means he wants to lead us into something better. Because he's a good father and wants good gifts for his children and does not want to see us walk in pathways that are destructive for us. So what is God commending here? What is he prizing in the fourth commandment? Simply this. He commends hard work and intentional rest. He commends hard work. Notice what he says there in verse 9. Six days you shall labor now lest we think that that work came as the result of our fall into sin understand work was given to adam and eve in the garden they were to care for the garden they were to care for the animals they were to care for god's creation and that would involve work but when sin came into the world it fractured everything including work so that work now becomes toil now work is associated with pain and we're sore because of the work we did yesterday and we have cuts and scrapes and bruises because of the work that we've done and our work is frustrating because it never quite seems to be enough. There's always more work to do and we find that very frustrating. These things are a result of sin but work is a gift from God. So much so that in Colossians 3 the Apostle Paul writes, so whatever you do, it's really broad, right? Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. See, this will change your work, folks. No matter how much you despise your job, if you begin to see yourself working for the Lord and not for your boss, it changes everything. Work as for the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. There is a great payday for the children of God. You are serving the Lord Christ. Now, don't misunderstand. Do not misunderstand this morning. We are not saying work hard and then God will show favor toward you. He'll love you if you work really hard. That is not what Colossians 3 or any other scripture is teaching. There is no way that you can earn the favor of God that you need so desperately. It is offered to you freely as a gift. But once you've received that gift, this is where it takes place. Once you've received that gift of salvation in Jesus Christ, now you can work 
as a means of worship unto him. Worship then becomes not just something you do in the church house on Sunday morning. Worship is what you do in the classroom, teacher, with those students. Worship is what you do in the factory when you're making those parts. Worship is what you do in the field when you're plowing and planting. Worship is what you do, stay-at-home mom, when you're raising those kids and they're on your last nerve and you're just praying to God for the patience to make it through another hour until dad gets home. These are acts of worship that become holy activities when the people of God begin to recognize that whatever we do, we have the opportunity as God's children to work heartily, to work hard as a way of worshiping God. But not just in our work. We also recognize that God is commending here intentional rest. And so while we work hard, we also rest intentionally as a reminder that it's not our work that's going to get it done at the end of the day. It's His work. So God commends these things, but also notice He condemns some things as well. Because He prizes some things, He prohibits others. So what's being prohibited here in the fourth commandment? God is condemning both workaholism and idleness. Two ends of the spectrum here, and yet they are very much the same. Workaholism is the worship of work. It's where my life and mind and heart are consumed with my work, with my occupation, with the things that come as a result of working hard. And my life becomes about worshiping work, not worshiping the giver of work. Do you see the difference? This is what we do as sinful people. We are constantly making false gods. We are constantly making idols to worship rather than worshiping, worshiping the only one who is worthy of our worship. And work can become one of those things. And you can be commended for worshiping work with your life. You'll get employee of the month. You'll get pay increases. You'll be considered a great man or woman because you are a hard worker. And yet in your heart, you have made an idol of your occupation. He is condemning workaholism, but he's also condemning idleness. You want to see how distasteful laziness is to God? Go home and begin to read the book of Proverbs. Right in the middle of your Bible, there's a book of wisdom called the book of Proverbs. And if you read the book of Proverbs, here's what you're going to find again and again. You're going to find God commending those who work hard and condemning those who are lazy and slothful. Those who refuse to work. By the way, the Apostle Paul also had a similar mentality. Second Thessalonians chapter 3 he said, even when we were with you, we would give you this command. The sentence, we would, we would say this all the time. We would give you this command all the time. We would say this. This was a regular saying in the church at Thessalonica. And here's how it went. This is a good one to post on the front door of the church, by the way. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. That's a great theme, right? I didn't get very many amens from that one. I mean, come on now. And yet, what is he commending here? Those who work hard, and what is he condemning here? Those who would take advantage of the system 
avoiding work even though they could work. Let's, let's make a differentiation here between those who cannot work, be it physical disability or any number of other circumstances, and between those who will not work. Those who are able but choose not to work and choose to ride everyone else's coattails to get their needs met, it's condemned right here in Second Thessalonians chapter 3. He says, For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. You know any folks like that? As I look around our culture today, here's what I see. I see those many who are spending themselves hours and hours a day seeking to get everybody else to pay their bills. If they would work a tenth as hard on getting everybody else to meet their needs, they could probably meet their own needs. And we've created an unbiblical welfare state where folks live off of everyone else. And, and what we've done is we're not really helping people. In church, we can be just as guilty in the church where we're not really helping people. We are simply enabling them to continue in sinful patterns and behaviors. Now, we don't want to be those who worship work. We, we also don't want to be those who enable laziness. Neither of these honor God. They are both forms of idolatry. And so those who can work should work and provide for themselves. And we need to be very careful in the way that we respond to these things. So what does this mean as far as the Sabbath goes? God says, Exodus 20, set aside one day a week. I'm going to erect a stop sign at the end of your week and tell you to stop and worship. But what does that mean for us as New Testament believers? We don't necessarily practice the Sabbath anymore, not the letter of the law, and yet the principle of the fourth commandment remains. We're practicing it right now. We call it the Lord's Day. We no longer refer to this, some may wrongly, but we don't longer refer to this day as the Sabbath day. We refer to this as the Lord's Day. One of the very earliest times the New Testament church set aside the Sabbath day, even though, even though most of them were Jews by heritage and would have practiced the Sabbath growing up, they set aside the practice of the Sabbath day and began to practice the Lord's day, which was a constant reminder to them week after week after week of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That on the first day of the week, the one who laid his life down for us took his life up again and rose from the dead. And so we come together to worship Christ on this day, the Lord's Day, the first day of the week. And yet the principle is still the same. God is saying, I want you to pause. I want you to stop. I want you to cease from your laboring for one day. And I want you to be reminded of all that I've given you. And I want you to rest and primarily to rest in me. So Colossians 2 helps us. Therefore, Paul says, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regards to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are all religious rituals from the Old Testament. Eat this, eat that, don't eat this, don't eat that. Practice these holidays and festivals. Observe these special days. These were all things that were given in the Old Testament. But look what he says. These all, all of these things, they're just a shadow 
They're just a shadow of things to come. They were pointing forward to something greater. The substance belongs to Christ. And so ultimately, this Sabbath was pointing us to our Savior. Ultimately, when we think about the principle of the Sabbath, it's saying, look to Christ, who did all the work on your behalf. He did everything necessary for you to enjoy the favor and a sweet and abiding relationship with the Father. He did it all, and all to Him we owe. So while we may not practice the Sabbath in terms of the letter of the law anymore, and we could get into lots of arguments over things like, well, should a man mow his yard on Sunday? Should we go out to eat and force folks to, uh, to attend our tables on a Sunday? We, could go, we can get into all kinds of letter of the law things with this Sabbath. Don't miss this. We are a people that love to miss the forest for the trees. And the forest is this, that God Almighty saw fit to rescue our broken, sinful souls by sending His perfect Son to come and do the work that we could not do. That's what the Sabbath is all about. And so lest we get into all kinds of legalistic expectations about what should or should not be done on the Lord's day, let's make it about this. Let's make it about Christ. Let's understand that our focus is to be upon Him, to remind ourselves of His cross and His finished work, and that we are resting in a work that's already been done for us. We are resting in the gift of His grace. And so the Sabbath is finally, it's a day for reverence. It's a day for worship. It's a day for fixing our eyes upon the author and the perfecter of our faith, the one to whom the Sabbath was pointing. By the way, the one to whom all these commandments are pointing. Ultimately, their fulfillment is found in the one who said, I came not to do away with the law, but to fulfill it. All the laws were pointing to Jesus, the only one who could fulfill them. God gave the law, and then he fulfilled it in Christ. And then he gives it back to us as a way of showing great love for him and for one another. The Sabbath is a day for reverence. Exodus twenty eleven. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth. We go back to Genesis once again. You found us several times running back to the early chapters of Genesis and finding the basis for these commandments. Here it is right in Exodus twenty eleven. In six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them. And he rested on the seventh day. Here's the question you need to be asking. Why in the early chapters, verses of Genesis chapter 2, why does God rest? Was he worn out? Was he like this preacher will be in a few hours in need of a nap? Had his strength waned from all that creating No, he is almighty God. He knows no weakness. And so why then does he rest? Not because he needed it, but because we need it. Like every good father, he is setting before his children an example, saying, this is the way in which you should walk. Rest is good for you. 
And so for you workaholics in the room that haven't taken a day of rest in a while, the Bible is saying to you, you need a Sabbath. We worship the Lord, our Creator. Isaiah chapter 40 says this, Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God. He is the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. He doesn't need a nap. His understanding is unsearchable. He knows all things. He never grows weary, and yet he knows this. You do, and so you need a Sabbath to be reminded that you are one of his creatures, to be reminded of your need for rest, and to be reminded that the only greatest rest there is is found in him and in him alone. So we worship the Lord, our creator, but we also, before we finish today, I want you to see this. We also worship the Lord, our redeemer. And you say, where do you see that? If you take the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, and you set them side by side with the Ten Commandments in, in Deuteronomy chapter 5. Again, beginning of Moses' ministry, Exodus chapter 20. End of Moses' ministry in Deuteronomy chapter 5. If you take the Ten Commandments and set them side by side from these two passages, you will find that they are nearly identical. The only one that's radically different is this fourth commandment. Look at what it says in Deuteronomy 5.15. After saying, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, he says this. You shall remember, here's what, you're to be, here's what you're to be remembering. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So in Exodus... At the beginning of Moses' ministry, he grounds the Sabbath in God as creator. But then at the end of his ministry, he's grounding the Sabbath in God as our Redeemer. And these two great truths come together with one another and display the character of God in such a beautiful way. That he is our creator and our Redeemer. It's been said that we are twice his. Once because he made us and twice because he bought us. And so for Old Testament Israel, that means that they were redeemed from 400 years of slavery in, under the hand of the most powerful empire in the world at that time, the people of Egypt. And God rescued them by his power, by his grace alone. They did nothing in the picture but grumble and complain, by the way. They did nothing to merit their salvation from Egypt. God accomplished it all. And this becomes a picture for us, church. Because we have been delivered from a much greater enemy than Egypt could have ever hoped to be. We have been delivered from the enemy of sin and death. And not what would have been 400 years in captivity, but an eternity in the captivity of hell separated from our loving Father. But he loved us so much that he came and rescued us. And did for us what we could never do for ourselves. And accomplished that great work which would allow us the great rest that can only be found in Christ. And this is what the Sabbath reminds us of.
And so we see the Sabbath, mostly in the Old Testament, but a few times in the New Testament. I want to share with you the final place in Scripture where we see the Sabbath mentioned. Hebrews chapter 4. The writer of Hebrews says, So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. You say, well, wait a minute. I thought we were done with the Sabbath. We're on to the Lord's Day now, right? Again, think spirit of the law, not letter of the law. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. The call of the gospel is rest from your own self-righteous works. Rest from trying to earn the favor of God that he is offering to you freely. Rest from all of those things that you are seeking to do to measure up because they're all garbage. In fact, the Apostle Paul says they're refuse. They're as good as dog poo. It's worthless. So rest from those things and rest in what God has done. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. What's the same sort of disobedience? The same sort of disobedience is this, that I am seeking to do what only God can do. In my life, I'm dethroning God, pushing him to the side and saying, no, God, I got this. When he is saying to us, no, you don't got this. It's because you don't got this that you need a Sabbath. You need to rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ. You need to recognize this morning that there is nothing that you can do to guarantee a place in his kingdom for all eternity. In fact, everything that you've done has merited you nothing but his condemnation. All your righteous deeds are filthy rags before a holy God. All the times you've tried really hard to be really good is meaningless before a holy God. And so God in the person of Jesus Christ stepped out of heaven and stepped into our world and did what we were utterly incapable, incapable of doing so that we as his children could find rest. Rest for our souls both in the here and now and in the evermore. And so church, let's just be reminded today, we are a people in great need of a Sabbath. But the Sabbath is Christ. The Sabbath is Him. He is the one in whom we rest. And if you would seek to rest in any other one or in any other place, you will be sorely disappointed. But there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. It's found only in Jesus Christ. Are you resting in Him today? Father, open our